Hi there. It's special to be with you here this evening. It's probably been, I was thinking about it, 10 years or so since I've, I've been down here at this church. Um, way too long, but it is nice to be back with you all. And um, I appreciate the invitation, and I hope to return the favor sometime soon, if possible. Um, but yeah, it is good to be with you. And I hope it's okay if I use this pulpit. I just got, I need to spread out a few notes here. Um, Tonight, I want us to look at uh, an argument that the disciples had and uh, what Jesus had to say about it in response. The passage is in Mark chapter 9, so you can start turning there. And the argument is, who is the greatest? And we'll also need to be looking at Matthew 18 a little bit, and we'll go back and forth between these two passages a bit. I hope that's not too much trouble. Uh, just a reminder of where we're at in Jesus' ministry. This is following the transfiguration. Jesus is going back through Galilee for the last time. And after this, he's going to be headed down to Jerusalem where the cross is waiting. I will go ahead and read this passage now from Mark 9, verse, verse 30 to 37. I'm reading from the New King James. Mark 9, verse 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, before we start to look at what Jesus had to say about greatness, let's spend a minute and look at this argument and, and, and try to figure out what caused this argument and uh, how did it take place. Jesus has just warned them for the second time as a group that he is going to be killed. Now, I doubt that what comes next would have happened if, if the disciples under, had really understood what Jesus was telling them. I think the disciples thought that Jesus was speaking figuratively, and I can't completely blame them. Um, Jesus often did speak in figurative terms, and somehow they missed the meaning of what Jesus was telling them. But they did know that something major was going to happen down at Jerusalem pretty soon. And my guess is that they thought this something was Jesus setting up an earthly kingdom, some kind of earthly kingdom. And if, if that's what they were thinking, they were probably also thinking that pretty soon Jesus is going to be delegating different positions of authority in this kingdom to them. So that might have been what triggered this argument. A couple other factors could have been the transfiguration. Um, that, that, was just, that had just happened, and Jesus had only taken up Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. 
and the other nine were left behind and they tried to cast out the demon and they weren't able to do it. So maybe that was a factor too. But either way, here's this discussion, who is the greatest? It's, it's really ironic that this discussion takes place right after Jesus finishes telling them that he's going to perform the ultimate act of service. He's going to give his life. And, and they respond with this argument, who, who is the greatest? Who, who among us is the greatest? Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Thank you. He spoke of his abasement. They thought of their own advancement and that at the same time. And so often that's how it happened and happens. Well, how did this argument take place? It says they were on the road. So they were walking down the road, traveling. I don't know how long this particular stretch of, of travel was. Apparently, this argument did not take place in the close vicinity of Jesus, so maybe they were kind of strung out along the road. Maybe Jesus was up ahead and the disciples were behind, or maybe the other way around. But they thought somehow that Jesus would not be aware of this argument. And you can imagine that a discussion like this might pretty quickly get kind of heated and and personal, And, and there's some evidence that that might have happened. Because in in Matthew 18, which is really one big long discussion or discourse by Jesus in response to this argument, in Matthew 18, uh, there are topics in there like reconciliation and forgiveness, forgiving the brother who has offended you. So that might indicate that this argument had left some wounds. Well, it, it is sad that this argument took place, but we're fortunate in some ways, that it happened because we get some really important teaching out of it. And it's, it's an interesting question. What does it take to be great in the kingdom of heaven? And we also, the other side of it, is that we struggle with some of the same tendencies the disciples had. So this is, this is important teaching. And I think that Jesus is laying out, uh, in, this, in his response, I think he's laying out three keys to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. The first one is that we need to reject the spirit of self-promotion. Let's look at how Jesus brought up this issue. Um, He doesn't just jump into the discussion right away when it's happening on the road. He waits till they get to the house. So maybe that's a lesson for us right there that, you know, when something wrong is taking place, you don't always have to jump in right away. Sometimes it's good to let things cool down a bit. But he doesn't just ignore the issue. When they get to the house... Uh, and, and maybe the disciples are kind of unwinding from the trip, and I don't know what all they would do to unwind. Are they knocking the dust off their sandals? Are they passing around the water jar? Um, either way, Jesus brings this up. It says, back when you were on the road, when you were walking along, you all, there was some major discussion taking place. What were you all talking about? Now, now stop and think about this. Surely as they were traveling, they talked about more than just who is the greatest. I mean, surely there were other discussions along the way. Maybe they, they had multiple discussions probably. But there, this particular argument dominated their discussion so much that when Jesus brings it up and asks what they were talking about, right away they know what he's, what he's referring to. And they don't even try to buy time. You know, I would be tempted to say, 
Oh, we, we talked about the fact that we hadn't gone fishing for a while recently. Um, it hasn't rained. Um, Thaddeus sprained his ankle, you know, whatever. But they don't even try to steer him in kind of a different direction. They, they're just quiet, very silent. Even Peter is quiet for once. Uh, they're very reluctant to open their mouths because instinctively they know that this is not something Jesus would approve of. And doesn't that, just right there, doesn't that say a lot about who Jesus is? That he has created an environment in which this kind of argument just feels totally out of place. It's embarrassing. And then Jesus has this first statement about greatness. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And I believe that Jesus, with that statement, is, is outlining... There's a couple ways you could take that statement. I think he's, he's outlining the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. Over in Mark chapter 10... If you remember, the, the disciples are upset because the mother of James and John want them to sit on either side of Jesus when he comes into the kingdom. And Jesus says, in response to the disciples getting upset about that, he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I believe Jesus is saying a self-promoting attitude will guarantee that you are not great in the kingdom of heaven. But actually the, the situation is, is a little more serious than even that. And, and we'll see that next when Jesus calls this boy over to himself. This took place in Capernaum. And... Since it was in Capernaum, there's a good chance that Peter is staying at, at Pe I'm sorry, that Jesus is staying at Peter's house, that this took place at Peter's house. We don't know for sure, but there's, there's a decent chance that this was Peter's house, and Peter was married. Remember, uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. So there's a chance that this is Peter's boy that Jesus is calling over to him. I think that's kind of interesting. How old was he? Well, he was old enough to walk. Over in Matthew 18, we'll see this briefly, that, um, that Jesus called the child and, and he, seen, he came on of his own accord. But he was young enough for Jesus to embrace him, to hold him in his arms. So he's a little tyke, maybe a toddler. Now I'd like us to, to look at the Matthew 18 account and, and read a few verses there, if you don't mind flipping to Matthew 18. Uh, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I should, I should pause here for a minute, and, and we should kind of harmonize these two accounts. Because in Mark, Jesus asked the question first. In Matthew, it makes it look like the disciples brought up the whole discussion. How do you put those two together? Well, one way I've heard it explained, and I think this makes pretty good sense, is that Jesus first asked the question, What were you discussing about on the road? And then after a long period of silence, 
the disciples finally caved and said, well, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That, that might be how we can make these two accounts uh, make sense. Okay, picking up at verse 2. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now, Jesus calls the little boy over to himself. He's got all 12 of the disciples. He's got their full attention. And here's what comes next. He, he uses the word assuredly. That's amen, actually, in the Greek. It means pay attention. This is important. And then he says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm suspicious that the disciples have been kind of daydreaming about crowns and scepters and so on. But this puts an end to that daydream pretty, pretty drastically. Jesus says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven in your current state. You are unfit. That's why this is so serious. You need, you need to change. You need to be converted. You need to turn. It's, it's an about face that's being referred to. So really, this whole discussion about who is the greatest, there's no point in worrying about that if, if you're not even qualified to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of a dumb discussion to have. So you must lose this self-promoting attitude. It's incompatible with Jesus and his kingdom. I think this is, this is just kind of conjecture, so you could take it with a grain of salt, but I'm suspicious that Jesus was worried about these disciples and that with their desire to be great, this ambition that it would eventually, unless it was changed or, or checked, that eventually they would just turn into either them or, or their followers would just turn into a different kind of scribes and Pharisees. In, in Mark 12, Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So don't, don't walk in those footsteps. So if we put these little tidbits together that we've gathered from the, the looking at this argument. Uh, there's the ashamed silence of the disciples. There's Jesus' statement that if you want to be great, you must be servant of all. Then there's the warning that unless you turn, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. You put that all together, and, and the message is, is pretty clear that the first step towards greatness is totally rejecting the spirit of self-promotion. And it can show itself in many ways, trying to get good at something, just so you can impress people, trying to know more than anybody else on a particular subject, fear of failure, uh, fear of speaking up. And then when you speak up and people don't think your ideas are great ideas, then getting upset, daydreaming about impressing people, 
making inner comparisons. Did I do better than he did? Or did he do better than I did? You know, I think he might have done better than I did. But over here in this other area, I still did better than he did. It kind of bothers me how easy it was to come up with this list of, of manifestations of, of, uh, of the spirit of self-promotion. Uh, trying to, to teach our kids their ABCs by the time they're six months old. Um, I feel like I ought to say that, that my son Grayson here could, could roll over when he was only two weeks old, just, just throwing that out there. Uh, these are, and, and then there's social media on top of all this, and boy, is that a channel for this sometimes. These can all be manifestations of this desire to make yourself look great in the, eye, in the eyes of others, and it's dangerous. We need to reject it. It gets in the way of what Jesus wants to do with us, and um, we need to deny ourselves if we're going to be followers of Jesus. Reject the spirit of self-promotion. That's the first step towards greatness. Now, the second one is, is really inseparable from the first step, and I'm, I'm only breaking them apart just for organizational purposes, I guess. The second step has to do with childlike humility. And uh, I want to read again verse 3 from Matthew 18, where Jesus says, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So to even enter, you must become like a child. Uh, this is something Jesus reiterated of a chapter later, again over in, in Mark 10. Uh, I'm going to turn there quickly. This is when the disciples were bringing the children, no, other way around. The, the, the disciples were preventing them from bringing the children to Jesus. And Jesus was not happy. And disciples apparently hadn't quite learned their lesson yet about how Jesus felt about children. I want to read verses 14 and 15. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Now that's, that's kind of an amusing word there because um, some translations would say indignant. And, and it's the same word, just to give you an idea of how displeased he is. Uh, do you remember the account where, where G, the triumphal entry? And the children are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, were greatly displeased in the same way, same word. They were indignant. And I'm guessing they were pretty mad. And I know we don't like to say that Jesus gets angry. And maybe we should be cautious about how we say that. But it, I think he was pretty upset at least. He was pretty upset. So, sorry, that was kind of off target. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He says it again. What does it mean to become like children or receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, there's... There's, there's maybe a number of ways in which we ought to become like children. The one that Jesus zeroes in on here is humility. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I really have fun thinking of having this mental picture of this 12 disciples sitting in this house in Capernaum. And Jesus is talking to them with this little boy in his arms or on his knee. And maybe it's Peter's little boy. Maybe he 
Maybe he's kind of dirty. Maybe he smells a bit like rotten fish. And the disciples are, are looking at this boy as Jesus is saying these things. And they're, and they're thinking, I, really? I have to become like Peter's little boy? Yes, we do too. Children are humble. They're humble because they're dependent. They need help. And they are very free to make that known. Sometimes we wish they were a little more independent. We adults are not like that. We, maybe especially us men, we like to be self. We, need, we like to be independent and self-sufficient. Be kind of embarrassing to ask for help. Um, can kind of make us feel a little bit small and needy, which really is the truth in the, in the big picture. But children are humble. They need help, and they admit it. They also don't care about rank at all. They, they don't care about rank. It's just foreign to them, unlike us. We, we adults, we tend to want to be admired and, and looked up to. It, it makes you feel important, kind of indisposable. But children do not need to feel more special than anyone else or know anyone else or be better at anything than anybody else. And they also don't care much about the rank of others. Have you noticed that? I was reading the Reader's Digest lately about this girl, of a woman who, who, who is able to visit the White House with her two-year-old daughter, whose name is Claudia. Two-year-old daughter in the White House. And I, I don't know how she exactly got this arranged, but she, she was able to arrange a photo session with the president. And her daughter, of course, is all dressed up in fancy clothes and, and does not like these clothes. And so they're in the red room in the White House and, and with some other people, and they're waiting for the president to show up. And this girl, Claudia, is starting to complain. And you, kinda, you know how these things can escalate if you've raised children. Um, so he said, the girl says, first she wants to take off her shoes, and her mom says, no, you can't take off your shoes. Then she wants to take off her dress. Her mom says, no, you can't do that. And just about the time that a hush falls on the room, which means the president is here, this girl just throws herself on the floor in full-scale temper tantrum right at the feet of President Obama. And the White House photographer is there, and he's taking pictures. And, and so there's this picture of Obama standing there with his hands kind of held. I, I can't really describe his expression. It's a mixture of amusement and just helplessness maybe. What's this little two-year-old girl stretched out on the, on the carpet here in front of me? What did we do about this? And she threw her little fit. And she did not care that this happened to be, you know, maybe the most powerful man in the world. Didn't make any difference whether it was him or the garbage collector. She was going to throw her temper tantrum. And she did. Children don't care about rank. Have you ever noticed, another thing, have you ever noticed how much time little tots will spend bragging? Not much. You know, you get a bunch of three-year-olds together, and you might hear fighting and screaming and shoving and all kinds of nasty things happening, but you will not hear any bragging. It's just a foreign concept. And I wish we could regain that notion, that attitude. As we get older, it's it's... It's strange how, in some ways, we get less mature and we start caring about things that we shouldn't. 
we need to pursue childlike humility. Forget about how great we are or how we measure up to others and focus on how great God is and how much we need him as our daily bread. Why does, why does childlike humility make you great in the kingdom of heaven? Well, I think a, is a pretty simple explanation maybe is, is that I think that as, as the, more, the more that we empty ourselves, I think the more God is able to fill us with, with his own strength and grace. And I think it is just a, the key to greatness is emptying ourselves and being humble. So reject the spirit of self-promotion and pursue childlike humility. And now we come to the third key to greatness. This is, comes back, from, back in Mark now, verse 37. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Now, what does that have to do with this discussion? Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Well, I think there's two things that Jesus is emphasizing. One is, that he, one is that he values his children. And we could go into a long debate here whether he's talking about literal children or figurative children in this sense. I, and maybe it's both. I, I think he's probably especially talking about spiritual children. But the other thing that Jesus is emphasizing is that this is the kind of loving and lowly service that we need to be involved in, taking up this little boy and holding him. That's the kind of service we need to imitate, demonstrated by Jesus himself. You take time for your brother. You're gentle. You're compassionate. You care for them, even if they're a little bit of a mess. You reach out to them. You do this in Jesus' name. Why should we serve our brothers and sisters? There's, there's a simple reason why we should be eager to serve them, it's, it's because they represent Christ. They represent Christ to us. When we welcome them in his name, we are welcoming Jesus. When we mistreat them, we are mistreating Jesus. This is something that Jesus has expressed um, at least three other times in the New Testament. When he sent out the 12 disciples, he said, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Over in Matthew 25, where Jesus tells about, um, he says, you, you know the, the account where he says, as you have done it unto the least of me, of these my brethren, you have done it unto me, and vice versa. And then Saul, on the road to Damascus, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So when you serve each other, you are serving Jesus when you do it in Christ's name. When you do it because of your love for Jesus, you're serving him. Have you ever thought about what a privilege it would be to be able to take Jesus a meal or to be able to go sweep his house or clean his house or plant his garden or, do what, or, or encourage him when he's sick or discouraged? What a privilege that would be. Well, we have that opportunity, essentially. You know, you ladies, I'm, I'm betting that you all make meals for each other in, in this church and when there's a baby born and so on. And when you make a meal for another family, 
you're probably not thinking to yourself, you know, if you say you're making a 9 by 13 of lasagna, you're probably not thinking to yourself, I wonder if Jesus likes lasagna. But if you're doing this because of your love for Jesus, you're, in a way, you're taking him lasagna. And he likes it. He likes that service. Back, back in April, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Yoder's Farm and the strawberries up there in Gladys. My cousin Lowell was involved in the, in the strawberry operation. And there was a night when it was especially cold and some of his help was away for the weekend and, he need, and it was windy and they needed to cover the strawberries and he needed help. And some of the other church brothers went over and helped him cover the strawberries. And probably none of them, as they were on their way, were thinking, you know, I'm going to help Jesus cover his strawberries now. But, um, you know, if, if they were motivated by love for Christ, that's, that's what they did. And, and I wish we kind of train ourselves to start thinking that way. What, what privilege is it? What privilege is greater than being able to serve Christ? So instead of thinking about how I can be greater than my brother, I should be thinking about how I can serve him. So we need to make ourselves, a serv make ourselves servants, follow Christ's pattern. And as it said over there in, in Mark 10, I already read this verse. Jesus said, even the Son of Man, this was, this was after his third warning that he is going to be killed. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's serve as, as Christ served. You'll notice in, that, in the Philippians 2 that, that um, Merle read here to start with, which is very fitting. Um, you'll notice where it talks about how Jesus humbled himself, and Paul puts it in such powerful terms, you know, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Esteem others better than himself. Um, and then he talks about Jesus' example and how he humbled himself to the point of death. And you know what comes right after that is, therefore, God has highly exalted him. After he humbled himself way down there, God exalted him. And in the same way as we humble ourselves, that's the key to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. So let's recap. I, th I, think, this, I think this discussion that Jesus is leading us in here is, um, or that we have recorded here, is, gives us three keys to being great in the kingdom of heaven. And the first one is that we reject this, this spirit to promote ourselves that we pursue a childlike humility, and that we serve as Christ served. You know, we, we all want to be effective. I'm sure we all want to be effective in, in God's kingdom and instruments for his glory. And I don't know exactly what your takeaway is from this study, from this passage, but for me, it means that um, I have to reject any scheme and it, this, this can happen so easily, we can do it without even thinking about it. I have to reject any scheme to promote myself. It has to be stomped out. And it's a sure way of, of not being very useful. But instead, we need to humble ourselves 
admit our weaknesses, be open about it, and then follow Jesus' example of servanthood. God bless you.